and welcome to People of the Pod, brought to you by American Jewish Committee. Each week, we take you beyond the headlines to help you understand what they all mean for America, Israel, and the Jewish people. I'm Sefi Kogan. And I'm Manya Brashear-Pashman. President Joe Biden and Prime Minister Naftali Bennett have many similar positions in their respective cabinets. Biden has Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. Bennett has Defense Minister Benny Gantz. Biden has Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Bennett has Foreign Minister Yair Lapid. Biden has Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. And Bennett has Transportation Minister Merav Michaeli. But one cabinet position that the United States most certainly does not have is a diaspora minister. That Israel does have one is a sign of the important dual role the state of Israel serves, a democracy with equal rights and obligations to all of its citizens, and the Jewish state that cares for all Jews all around the world. Joining us now for a second time on AJC's People of the Pod to discuss his important new role and his critical work supporting Jews around the world is Israel's diaspora minister, Nachman Shai. Nachman, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Now, there's an old story about the relationship between Israel and the diaspora that goes something like this. British Jews, French Jews, American Jews especially, are Israel's rich aunts and uncles. Israel is poor and can't really support itself, and we diaspora Jews have to help it out out of the goodness of our hearts. And then there's the new story about the relationship. Israel is militarily strong, financially solvent, technologically advanced, contributing significantly rather than taking from the balance of global Jewry. When did we switch from one story to the other? Uh, First of all, I don't think the the old story died. It's a mixed story between the new one and the old one. It's the dilemma whether Israel is strong or actually weak, whether we are isolated or we run the Middle East. Samson or, or David, we are all. We have everything. But when did it change? I think in the course of the years, after the beginning in 1948, and for a few years, Israel was suffering from everything possible. Lack of security was the first one, but economically we were weak. There was no infrastructure, no industry, almost no agriculture. The challenge of observing millions and millions of Jews in this country, especially those who came from Europe after the Holocaust, and also building a state. Can you imagine someone by the name Ben-Gurion, who came from Russia 40 years earlier, he had in mind, well, following Herzl, of course, to build a state, to build a state. Recently, we forget the history of Israel. And the infrastructure for a new state was laid down for 40, 50 years in all areas. When we finally switched after 48, the state was almost there. Foreign ministry. Treasury, Ministry of Justice, judicial system, not everything we inherited from Britain, but this was the beginning. In general, I think around 67, after the war, Israel dramatically changed. The territories were suddenly available. A lot of money, contributions, another way came to the country. The, the, just before the, 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 the war, we were deep in a economic crisis. It changed overnight. And again, a wave of newcomers to the country. And from that on, I think we flew. We took off and we were going up and up and up. Now we are in a different place. 
tremendously different than it was. We are doing very well economically. Militarily, we are strong. No doubt we are the strongest military in our region, and rightly so. We also very much advanced in science, even education. High-tech is the name of the game. Every second Israeli is a high-tech expert. Everyone is a startup. Israel by itself is a big startup. I think the 67, 73 was actually down. We went up and then down in 73. But after 73, when we recovered from the war and realized that nothing is safe here and we should work harder and harder, also in security, things have changed. Israelis are different than other people for many aspects. We are less formal, more proactive. We take the initiative. We don't wait. We go forward. We take risks. We are very innovative. Sometimes it's not for the credit of us, but in general, it speaks for itself. And if you compare it with other states, these qualifications and others give us a certain advantage in running the state, in running our business within Israel and abroad. What's the role of the diaspora ministry in those twin stories about the relationship between Israel and the diaspora? What, what's some of the history of the ministry and what does it look like? You know, what's a day in the life of the diaspora minister? The ministry was established in 1999 as part of a coalition agreement. Everything starts with politics. <laughs> and so my friend, my good friend, Rabbi Michael Malkior, was appointed as a deputy minister for diaspora affairs or something similar. And ever since then, it became a full minister, not only deputy, Nathan Sharansky, Yuli Edelstein, Naftali Bennett, so you can see I'm coming to a place or a ministry that my predecessor were really big names in Israel's history are still. And I'm the one who is asked by the government, was assigned by the government to keep the two ends as close as possible, Israelis and Jews in the diaspora, which is a great challenge. Let me tell you, it's getting harder and harder. By the traditional uh, ages now, when my generation is the if I may say the outgoing one, and the new generation, the coming in generations, they lack the knowledge. They don't know what diaspora is all about. I myself had to learn it in order to become a kind of a specialist, an expert. But with my parents and my grandparents, there was no issue. They were born in the diaspora. They came to Israel. Diaspora was in their blood. When I speak about anti-Semitism in Israel, it's like a theory, like other theories. Okay, anti-Semitism, let's discuss why it is. Why. But for Jews living in the diaspora, anti-Semitism, unfortunately, is part of integral parts of their life. How do you teach Israelis about anti-Semitism? What do you tell them about the rifles trial, about Herzl, about ADL? What does it mean, anti-Semitism? For you, you know, you know very well what it means. Either you experience anti-Semitism or you saw it in your... Uh, vicinity, in your community somewhere in the country. I'm trying to educate the Israelis about diaspora. I'm trying to bring and create links between Jews in Israel and the diaspora, bring them together, thinking together, working together. And of course, not every challenge that diaspora Jews face is the result of an anti-Semitic culprit. You were in Surfside last month in Miami, where many of the victims in the Champlain Towers tragedy were Jewish. What was that experience like to come and be, you know, Menachem Avelim, to come and bring comfort to these people who had experienced such a terrible tragedy? First of all, you know my name. <laughs> my name is Nachman. 
Nachman comes from Nechama and from the verb Lenachem. So I'm supposed to Lenachem others, but that's just an expression. I was asked by the prime minister to travel to Surfside. It started with the huge number of Jews that we lost there. But actually, when we looked at this, this was a crisis, a kind of crisis, a disaster for the American people. And we had some expertise in similar situations around the globe with the Home Front Command. So immediately, the day after, it was Friday noon, when Saturday night we flew to Florida, to Surfside, we had 15 Israelis on board. My, my team, plus 10 senior officers from the Home Front Command, from the rescue team of the Home Front Command, and some of the foreign ministry guys also joined us. And so we had like 15 Israelis coming overnight. We were very careful, Sefi, when we arrived in Florida. We didn't come to teach the Americans what to do. I don't believe we should, and we, I don't believe we can. But we carried the message from the government, from the Israeli people, you are once in a while coming to help Israel, we are now coming to help you. And even being present there, meeting with the governor, the two senators, some other politicians, rabbis, Jewish community, the families of the residents, Jewish organizations, we came to share with you the grief, the sorrow, the pain, the tears. And I believe this worked well. I mean, it didn't help, the, unfortunately, the people who were in the building and lost their life, but it helped the community. And it also was received very nicely by non-Jews who just heard about it and say, thank you, guys. We like you. We know we, you can do more than us, which is true. We did a little bit, but let's say we are not, as I said before, teaching the Americans what to do. But we said to us, if we can do something, we should. That's very Israeli. That's very Jewish. And I think it came to the right place at the right time. It meant a lot to American Jews, not only in Miami. I'm a thousand miles from Miami, but it meant a lot to so many of us. And, and we're so grateful that you were there. Thank you. Pivoting to politics for a moment, you have said that the Kotel compromise will certainly be enacted, which will see the egalitarian portion of the Western Wall enlarged and improved, a very important agenda item for reform and conservative Jews in the U.S. Why has it taken so long for this to happen? I'm asking you. I don't know. But I'm very upset. It, uh, you know, it was after many years, finally in 2016, the final agreement was signed and was approved by the government. That should be the end of everything. A year and uh, three months later, it was suspended and hasn't been renewed since then. And my challenge, one of my challenges now, and the government's challenge, is to remove this elephant from the room. We don't want to see this elephant any longer. We want the room to be empty for other challenges that we both face. I think this government, if there's any government in Israel's history that is able to resolve this crisis, not crisis, I would say, issue, is, is this government, which is so much, I would say, united. So, I mean, let's say 80%, 90% of the cabinet members are all the way for this old agreement, which is supposed to be renewed now. We are working on it, and I hope it will be resolved soon. I can't promise you because then you'll blame me that I haven't done my job. But I talked to the prime minister, I talked to the government legal advisor, I talked to other government ministers. You know what? I wouldn't take the credit. I'd gladly give the credit to other governments. I just <laughs> want it to be over because I know how important it is to the reform and conservatives. But let me tell you something else, which also carries some message 
We just passed the budget the day before yesterday, after 30, 40 hours of deliberation, endlessly. But one of the gains of us is that we are now instituting a branch within my office, with Ministry of Foreign Affairs, for renewed Judaism, for the reform and conservative movements within Israel. A balance for many years were discriminated by the government in funding allocations. It's not doesn't mean that we're going to pay them money, but they will have to develop projects that will be supported, financially supported, by the government, by my ministry. The significance here that Israel's attitude, government's attitude, my ministry attitude is pluralistic. We see the three denominations equal now, and we will treat them equal by the state of Israel. And this new branch in our government, in our ministry, is just the first step. And likely part of the reason, a big part of the reason why your government has the opportunity to do that is because this government coalition does not include the Haredi parties. There's this new kind of chance, this opportunity, in addition to the Kotel Compromise, in addition to what you're talking about, to fix some of the outsized role, that the, the disproportionate role that the Haredi sector has had in what goes on in Israel. So what changes from military service from the way kashrut, the way you know restaurants and businesses are certified kosher, to marriage and divorce. What changes to those important things might we see in Israel over the next few years? Kashrut is already one of the major reforms that was introduced to us, to the cabinet this week, and it will be implemented, instituting, uh, presenting other kashrut operation by other organizations, not necessarily by the Rabbanut, First of all, it will decrease the expenditures on kashrut, which are extremely high because of the monopoly. And secondly, hopefully it will be much more convenient for restaurants and other food services uh, to deal with kashrut. And that will be done. That's already been on our table and was endorsed by the government. Marriages is still an issue. There are other issues. I'm not naive. And also, by the way, this government is made of left, right, Center, center, center right, Arabs. We don't have an ultra orthodox party, but we do have orthodox members of the cabinet, which, in general, this is the real unity of the Israeli people. For after so many years, we have a unity government, a real one, not a fake. So every proposal like that may be confronted by another proposal when we have to find compromise. On the Kotel, I believe we can find a compromise. On Kashrut, we did already. There'll be more. I hope this government will survive for four years. If it does, I assure you there'll be more and more reforms on issues like the ones you mentioned. We've been talking principally about the challenges in Israel, the opportunities in Israel, the initiatives in Israel. But the challenge of Israel-Diaspora relations is in many ways a mutual one. It's a mutual challenge of shared ignorance. You know, even 20 years into the birthright era, more than half of American Jews have never visited Israel, don't know much about Israel. And then, of course, as you said, Israeli Jews know very little about American Judaism. Now, in Israel, there's you, Nachman, and your ministry working to change things. But what do you want to see from your diaspora partners? In short, what can organizations like AJC and people like the listeners to AJC's People of the Pod, what can we all be doing to be partners in your work? First of all, I want to thank you, AJC. And, and secondly, mention that in the, no, seriously, and by the way, in our visit to Miami, the only Jewish organization that we went to see leaders of 
was the GC. It took us an hour to travel from Surfside <laughs> to the office, but uh, this was worthwhile because it was a place that we could interact with, with American Jewish leaders and hear about your concerns and share them with us. You said ignorance, and I would say arrogance too. On both sides, I can identify arrogance and ignorance. That will take me a few hours to explain, but I hope that our listeners understand what I mean. On both sides, I can detect arrogance and ignorance. By the way, I guess you know much more about us than we know about you, but you don't still don't know the whole Israeli story, I would say. What I would like to see, if you ask me as a minister on the Aspar Affairs, is that every young student, starting from high school, university, young adult will have an Israeli experience, will spend some time in Israel, few weeks, preferably a few months, if not longer, and that will build a certain attachment to Israel that will hopefully survive for many years. Visiting the country is the key. If we cannot visit the country, we'll send Israelis to teach and, and we'll be working with American Jews as we've been doing, but in a smaller volume. We would like every young Jew to be part of this story because I'm afraid that we are losing them. And uh, since I came to office, I've heard so many briefings, read so many surveys, I, I, I collect information day and night. And I have no doubt that, first of all, I think we know already where the issues are and then how you cannot solve it overnight. There are no magic solutions. It's not something you can come up with a new uh, platform and say this is over. No. What we see now is a accumulation of mistakes committed by previous generations, kids that missed uh, Jewish education, students that did not attend anything to do with Israel. They grow and they became adults and they function within the communities without any Jewish and Israeli background. How do you bring them into the system? I have no idea. But if they have the right roots, which I, that's what I mean, if you make sure that they have attended school, classes, courses, briefings, visits, everything which has the Israeli smell and visuals, you will have in the future other people. It will take time. That's what I keep explaining to the guys from the finance ministry or the treasury that are coming to check on us. I said, can you give us the outcome? I said, yeah, well, the outcome is that the 10, 20,000 young American Jews attended classes. No, no, no. We want to see the outcome. I said, that's not a business here. I can <laughs> not show you rising sales, you know. It doesn't work like that. But if we invest now properly in the young generation, in 10 years, five years, 10 years, we'll see the fruits. I want to just close by following up on that question and asking you to elaborate a little bit more because you face immense structural challenges in this role because you have to deal with everyone's narishkeit. Right. You have to deal with the assimilation and the anti-Israelism that plagues parts of the diaspora. And you have to deal with the other radicalisms, not to mention the political challenges that Israel has to deal with. There's so much kind of from both sides that is standing in the way of potential success. And so I would love for you to close by telling us how you will define success in this role, how you will know that the work of the ministry of the diaspora has been successful. And it can be on that, you know, 10 year, 20 year timeline. First, I don't know where I'm going to be in 20 years from now, so uh, it's really a long way to go. I think that I'm trying to make it more practical. When I briefed the government the other day, I said 
if we see more of the radical left or the progressive liberal Jews continuing to support BDS and Black Lives Matter, and as is similar to the Palestinian, if they relate to Israel as a genocide state or apartheid state and so on, we may lose America because the bridge to the Democratic Party and to the Republican Party goes through the American Jewish community. And that's the only bridge I believe in. There were ideas to rely on other groups in America today. You know exactly who I mean. No, I believe only in you. And I have to make sure that hundreds of thousands of you will stay with us. I mean, they may be very critical of what's going on in Israel. I also have a lot of criticism. It doesn't matter. Basically, we should share the same values. We should believe in the same things. We should get together and help each other for a common future, for a common future. And so when I explained it to my colleagues here, I said, what about the MAU, the Memorandum of Understanding, the new one that should be signed five years from now? No, it should be signed three years from now. And I don't want to hear those voices coming from the Democratic Party sidelines of refusal to send arms to Israel or to support Israel internationally. And you know exactly what I mean. I rely on you, on the internal American public discourse to try and figure out, can you produce other voices in the Democrats or Republicans, part politicians of party lines? We, we need you for this, not only for your donations and other ways of supporting Israel, which I appreciate very much. I speak about politics. I speak about the political game. I speak about lobbying. I speak about public diplomacy. We need you for that. So I just explained to those guys who don't have the vision of 20 or 30 years from now that that is applicable to two years or three years from now. They understand. They said how much money you need to build those relationships that finally will pay off in the political arena, in the short, not in the long range, but in the short range. That's what I'm doing now. What is success? The success is when it comes to America, that we will be able to maintain bipartisan support to Israel. That any president, future president, whoever he or she is going to be, will share Israel's values and interests. The shared values and shared interests. You know, both run parallel, one to parallel to the other. And that means investment. It doesn't go without huge investment in this arena, in the political arena, and maybe not on this only. I cannot tell you more about what success means. I mean, I don't know what success means in my business here. I don't count votes at the UN Security Council. I don't count uh, state revenues if I were in other government ministries. I deal with something very special here. But if I look at it in a certain perspective, I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky. I deal with a nation which survived for thousands of years, more than any other nation on earth. It has given so much for the humankind, which is still a leading power in science, in medicine, in culture, in arts. What else a young man like me can expect in his life? Well, Nachman, you're certainly correct that your work is hard to define, but on behalf of myself and so many of us in the diaspora who care so much about Israel and the Jewish people, it is so, so important. Thank you so much for all the work that you are doing in leading the Ministry of Diaspora Affairs, and thank you so much for joining us on People of the Pod. Thank you, Sefi, and I thank you very much, you and the American Jewish Committee, and for the job you've been doing. I met your leaders in Israel recently. And we'll continue our 
long-time relationship in the future as well. So thank you very much. Now it's time for our closing segment, Shabbat Table Talk, where we share what we'll be talking about with friends and family at our Shabbat table. For reasons that soon will become apparent, Sefi shared his reflection with me earlier this week. Sefi, when you're gathered with your friends and family at your Shabbat table this week, what will you be talking about? Well, my Shabbat table this week is going to be a nostalgic one. I got my start here at AJC in our marketing and strategic communications department, creating AJC's weekly newsletter, the AJC Dispatch, working on the program for our annual policy conference, the AJC Global Forum, and doing lots and lots of tweeting. By December of 2017, I had moved on already to become AJC's first director of campus affairs, a path that brought me to the job I have been blessed to have since August 2018 as the founding global director of AJC's Alexander Young Leadership Department. But even though I had recently moved on from Marcom, I still had strong ties to the department. And when they decided to make a real go of creating a podcast, the director at the time asked me if I would be willing to try out hosting the show. I am so glad that I said yes. For nearly three years now, I have had the pleasure of hosting what we first called AJC Passport, now People of the Pod. At first, I was flying solo, and then I was blessed with a great co-host in you, Manya, not to mention incredible producers in Kukang Do and Atara Lakritz. Through this podcast, I have had the chance to interview mayors, presidential candidates, and American cabinet secretaries, all named Pete Buttigieg. I have gotten to speak with many members of Congress of both parties and with legislators from around the world, especially the U.S. and Israel. I have spoken with ambassadors and journalists and current and former senior administration officials from every presidential administration of my lifetime. I have even grown to call some of those podcast guests my friends. I'm proud, too, of the listenership we have built, with thousands of people tuning in every week to hear the news that global Jewish advocates need to know. A few weeks ago, I was meeting up with a friend for drinks in Tel Aviv, and he asked me if his friend Adam could join us. You see, Adam is a longtime listener and a big People of the Pod fan. It's one thing to hear at an AJC event that someone loves the pod. And don't get me wrong, I always love to hear that at Global Forum, at our National Leadership Council fly-in, at our Board of Governors meetings. I always love to hear when someone loves the pod. But it's quite another to make a new friend over gold stars on the other side of the Atlantic. If you're wondering why I'm getting sappy, it's because, yes, this is my final episode. This is my last week at AJC. I am moving to New Haven to get an MBA at the Yale School of Management. It has been a marvelous ride here at AJC, and without a doubt, a highlight has been the years I have spent with all of you. Please, don't be strangers. I'd love to hear from all of you in the years to come. I would like to think that Sefi is packing his bags for New Haven right now and listening to this podcast. So I'd like to take this opportunity to say, Sefi, I too have been blessed to have you as a co-host. Honestly, what would I have done? Without you, I would have butchered Hebrew even worse than listeners already think I do. Your grasp of Jewish tradition and your wisdom and experience made my last two years on this podcast so much smoother than they could have been, not to mention so instructive. You mentioned the former iteration of this podcast, AJC Passport, but you did not mention the former iteration of this very segment. It was one of my favorites. 
Longtime listeners may remember that when Sefi hosted AJC Passport, at the end of every episode, he examined an issue in the news and asked that age-old question, is it good for the Jews? Every time you uttered those words, Sefi, it brought a smile to my face. Whether in that segment or here, your reflections have always been thoughtful, erudite, heart-wrenching, or funny. Sometimes all of the above. I'm sad to say goodbye and lose you as my co-host, and I'm sad that the Jewish world is losing an important voice on its airwaves. However, I am absolutely thrilled that you're moving on to do bigger and better things that will only serve to amplify your voice and your wisdom in our world. I declare your next chapter is indeed good for the Jews. And by the way, I'm not the only one who thinks that. Let's hear from some others. Hey, Sefi, it's Congressman Ted Deutsch. I just wanted to congratulate you on your incredible work at AJC. I'm a longtime listener of People in the Pod, even an occasional guest. Your interviews were diverse and insightful, and you achieved something really unique. The show was both informative and interesting. So congratulations on People of the Pod. Thanks for your leadership, especially among young people and always including me and giving me the opportunity to spend time with all of those future leaders that you work so, so hard to prepare to take on the challenges ahead. I wish you all of the best, best of luck, every success in the next chapter of your life. Congratulations, Mazel Tov. Thanks. I'm Maggie Fredman, American Jewish Committee's Director of the Alexander Young Leadership Department. Safi, when thinking how best to capture the essence of your contributions and leadership at AJC, I thought it would only be fitting to take inspiration from Jewish text, something you've eloquently done time and time again in our work. The sage Ben Zoma is quoted in Pirkei Avot, The Ethics of Our Fathers. He says, Who is wise? He who learns from every man. Who is mighty? He who is slow to anger. Who is rich? He who rejoices in his own lot. Who is honored? He who honors his fellow human beings. These are all qualities you've channeled as the founding director of our department. Your young leadership family will miss you, but we are cheering you on as you enter this exciting new chapter. Sefi, it's Seth Mandel. I want to tell you how much I admire you for going to Yale. Not everyone can get into base medrash Gavoha, and there's no shame in going to your safety school. I know you'll finally put Yale on the map. Sefi, you are a credit to the Jewish people, and I can't wait to see the heights you ascend to next. Bahatzlacha, my friend. Hi, Sefi. This is Kukang, producer of People of the Pod and your longtime fan. You can normally find me behind the scenes in the recording studio, watching you in amazement as you expertly navigate complex issues with our guests each week. Though you will no longer be on the podcast, I'll still be watching you, albeit a bit further than the other side of the glass wall in the studio, to see all the great things you will accomplish. Hi, Sefi. This is Ron Campius from JTA. I wanted to talk more as a listener than a guest, even though I've been a guest a few times. The first time I came across the broadcast was when you'd interviewed Pete Buttigieg. I was just doing research as this emerging candidate was coming, and I found like everything I needed in one podcast Thanks to your open questioning, your capacity for listening. And we're going to miss you. We're going to miss you and the people of the pod. And thanks a lot. Hi, Steffi. This is Dana Steiner, Director of Access Global. 
I'm so excited for you in your upcoming journey to Yale. As a Gilmore Girls fan, it's very exciting to watch you become a Yale Bulldog, just like my hero, Rory Gilmore. But I really am so proud of everything that you've accomplished in your tenure with AJC. And it's been such an incredible journey working with you and learning with and from you. I wish you so much happiness, so much success, and so much nachis in your next steps. And can't wait to celebrate you in the coming days. Hi, Sethi. Dan Albaum, North American CEO of the Jewish Agency for Israel, and better known to you as the guy who promoted you a few times at AJC, and now mostly texts with you about presidential trivia. On West Wing, Toby Ziegler said, it's not the battles we lose that bothered me. It's the ones that we don't suit up for. During our years together at AJC, there were few battles for which you did not suit up. Whether it was arguing about how to make AJC a better organization, advocating for a colleague who had not spoken up for himself, or trying, mostly, to bring some sanity to the world of Twitter, you have always led with your heart and with your incisive mind and wit. You are leaving a stronger organization than the one you found, and your fingerprints are all over much of what has been changed for the better. In a single phrase, if you will forgive me, Sefi Kogan at AJC has been, wait for it, good for the Jews. And I take comfort in knowing that this will always be the case. Kola Kavod, my friend. Can't wait to see what's next. Hi, I'm David Harris, CEO of American Jewish Committee. And I've had the pleasure of knowing Sefi Kogan these last seven years. And there were seven extraordinary years. Uh, among the many things that I came to know, like, and admire about Sefi, let me note three in particular. First, Sefi's not only smart, and yes, he's very smart, but he's wise, he's thoughtful, he's learned. Secondly, Sefi is a great writer, and those who have read his op-eds in many leading newspapers will always see something that's well-researched, that's thought through, that's nuanced. And thirdly, as any listener of People of the Pod will recognize, Sefi has this amazing voice. And it's not just this God-given gift of an amazing voice, Sefi always has something to say. We're going to miss him, but we're extremely grateful for these last seven wonderful years. Sefi, we all wish you Mazel Tov and the best of luck. Shabbat Shalom. Would you like to be a guest in our recording studio? Here's your chance. Please take some time to fill out our audience survey available now at ajc.org slash podcast survey. It will only take a minute, and even if you don't land a guest spot, you will receive a special gift from AJC. Your feedback will help shape future episodes of People of the Pod. Go to ajc.org slash podcast survey. You can subscribe to People of the Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or learn more at ajc.org slash people of the pod. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at peopleofthepod at ajc.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to tell your friends, tag us on social media with hashtag peopleofthepod, and hop onto Apple Podcasts to rate us and write a review to help more listeners find us. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by AJC. Our producers are Kukong Do and Atara Lakritz. Our sound engineer is TK Broderick. Tune in next week for another episode of People of the Pod.